Hello and welcome. My name is Brent Weaver and this is the Digital Agency Show. The podcast that goes behind the scenes with today's top agencies and entrepreneurs. I am really glad you're here. And once again, it's time to transform your business mindset. Hey, what's up, digital agency owners, podcast listeners. Before I introduce today's guest, I want to ask you a quick question. Are you currently stressed out, cash crunched, or fed up with your business? If you feel this way, you might think that you have a lead generation problem, or maybe it's the area you live in, or maybe this market has become too competitive. Maybe you think that your business can't be turned around, but I want you to think again. In my many years of experience, I can tell you now that it's probably something much deeper that you're not likely even aware of yet. It's like a client that comes to you saying that they need a website or Facebook ads or maybe a mobile app developed, but they don't even realize the deeper challenge or opportunity that's blocking them from success. Now, if you'd like to find out what your deeper challenge is, then I want to invite you to apply for a YouGuru's Agency Freedom Session, where we'll dig into those underlying issues and get you moving like never before. The aha moments will shift the way you think forever, and you'll finally get the answers as to why your business hasn't taken off. The number one most important decision to rapidly grow your business starts by booking your agency freedom session today. Go to yougurus.com slash apply to start your application process for this free call. Once again, go to yougurus.com slash apply to get started. All right, let's introduce today's guest. Hey, what's up, podcast listeners, digital agency owners. Welcome to another episode of the Digital Agency Show. I'm your host, Brent Weaver, and today we are hanging out with Nathan Hirsch. Nathan is an entrepreneur and expert in remote hiring and e-commerce. Most recently, Nathan co-founded freeup.com in 2015 with an initial investment of $5,000 scaled to a $12 million per year in revenue business and then was acquired in 2019. Today, Nathan is a co-founder of Outsource School, a company working to educate entrepreneurs on how to effectively hire and scale with virtual assistance through in-depth courses. Nathan's appeared over on over 300 podcasts, which brings him to our show. Welcome to our program, Nathan. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah. So Nathan, um, you, uh, we mentioned in, in the beginning about your newest project, Outsource School. Why don't you start there? Kind of what's, uh, what's the nature of your business right now? Paint us a picture of what, uh, what your current company looks like in terms of like people and size and kind of where you guys are at. Yeah. So we just launched Outsource School. I mean, we were acquired, FreeUp was acquired at the end of 2019 and we had a 90 day transition period. And then we spun up Outsource School um, shortly after that. So we're in the early stages, essentially for the past four years of running FreeUp, which was a marketplace for pre-vetted VAs and freelancers. We had lots of clients who reached out saying, Hey, do you have any courses? Do you have a way to teach me how to use VAs? And we went on podcasts and did blog articles, but we didn't have a standard thing for people to go through to learn our systems and our processes because FreeUp was a, an eight-figure business that was me, my business partner, no office, no US employees, 35 VAs in the Philippines that were all remote that did all parts of the business. And we didn't just wake up one day and hire 35 people and cross our fingers and, and hope it didn't it worked out. Um, we had systems and processes to interview them and onboard them and train them and manage them. And then to grow our business, we had other systems like how to use VAs to get on more podcasts, how to use VAs for social media. So we wanted to, to bring that element to it. And so right now we have two courses out. We have Cracking the VA Code, which walks, walks you through our exact interviewing, onboarding, training, and managing process. We call it our IOTA method. 
And then we just launched a new course today, actually, called the Podcast Outreach Formula, which is how to use VAs to do 70% of your research so that you can focus on pitching and connecting with hosts and going on the podcast. And you wake up every day to a list of shows for you to review to decide which ones you want to reach out to. Um, and the other side of it, the same developer that built FreeUp is working on VA software. Everyone hates creating SOPs. You need to create SOPs a lot of times to use virtual assistants, that, that standard operating procedures. And we have this new tool coming out in the next few weeks to help you create really dynamic SOPs quickly that your VAs can learn, learn quickly, um, and really make it easier for you. And assuming that goes well, we have a lot of other software ideas as well. So it's a combination of education and software to, to help people use VAs in a much higher level. Awesome, man. We'll love to hear that. You know, you, you've definitely accomplished a lot uh, over your entrepreneurial career so far. I'm sure you've got lots of things that you're going to be uh, accomplishing in the future. What got you into entrepreneurship to begin with? It's funny. It kind of all goes back to my, my parents were both teachers growing up and I had the mentality that I was going to go to school, get a real job, work for 30 years, retire. And that was going to be my life. That's what they did. There's nothing wrong with that. They were frugal. They saved up. They're not retired. They're, they're traveling the world. But at a young age, Actually, let me back up one more time. So I lived in East Longmeadow. I went to school in Longmeadow. It was a better school system. My parent, my dad taught there, so I was able to go there. And all the kids in that town, their parents were doctors, lawyers, dentists, business owners. They had nice houses, nice cars, every video game that they could imagine. And I wasn't poor, but I was middle class. So growing up my whole life, I, I always felt like I, I wanted more from a, a financial standpoint. And it was never more evident than when I was grow- when I got to high school, my parents made me get 40, 50 hour weeks, summer jobs, winter jobs, every vacation. And my friends are outside playing and enjoying high school and I'm inside working. And I learned so much about just business and management and sales and working with other people. But I also got a glimpse into what life was like after college and what having a boss was really like. And I, I really hated it. And I knew that if that was going to be my life, I was going to be miserable. So when I got to college, I I looked at it as a, a ticking clock. I had four years to start my own business or I was going to go into the real world and, and never look back. And I started hustling. I started buying it and selling people's textbooks, competing with my school bookstore, offering higher prices, creating a referral program. And through that referral program, I had lines out the door of people trying to sell me their books to the point where I got a cease and desist letter from my college telling me to knock it off. So I stopped selling books, but at that point I was addicted. And that's when I really, really knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. What was the first business uh, after that that you, uh, that you started once you decided like, hey, I'm going to be an entrepreneur? Like what was kind of your, what was, was free up the first thing or what did you do before that? No. So the textbook business was the first business. And then from there, when I got the cease and desist letter, I didn't want to get kicked out of school. My parents were teachers. That would not have gone over well. So I pivoted and I'd sold some of these books on Amazon. And this was 2008, 2009. No one really knew what Amazon was. It was kind of this big bookstore that was just getting into selling other products. And I thought it was so cool that I it was 24-7 and it would automatically deposit money into my bank account. And this was all new stuff. There was no courses or gurus out there or anything like that. So I I couldn't sell books anymore. I came up with the concept of really drop shipping before I even knew it was called drop shipping. I didn't find out it was called that till years later. And I said, hey, I can go to these manufacturers who they don't know anything about Amazon, they don't know anything about e-commerce. I give them my credit card, I'll tell them where to ship the products. They make it, they ship it, they charge me. I get the sales. I handle the customer service. I was getting good at Amazon and I just have to figure out what products to sell. So I start experimenting with 
video games, computers, sporting equipment, typical college guy stuff. And I just fail over and over and over. I can't get anything to sell besides books. And it's not till I branch out of my comfort zone and come across a manufacturer selling baby products that I start getting sales and I start getting sales quickly. So if you can imagine me as a 20-year-old single college guy selling millions of dollars of baby products on Amazon, that was me. And that was my first real business besides the textbooks, uh, an Amazon business uh, that I ran for six and a half, seven years and sold over $25 million. So baby products were, uh, were, were your, your first big win on Amazon besides books? Right, exactly. What, what, have you, what did you kind of learn from that experience that has now uh, still, st- you've still kind of reused or, or, or continued to evolve as like an entrepreneurial kind of core lesson? Yeah. So there were two major lessons that I learned there. First of all, when we started off, we were doubling every single year and we thought we were going to take down the world, take down Amazon and Amazon became more competitive. More sellers came out there. The courses came out. Amazon started changing the rules. And and we realized that we're really, really dependent on Amazon. They can shut us down at any given time. They can change anything. And we found ourselves not really growing our brand because we were just a seller under Amazon. And we didn't have our own products. We didn't have our own patents. Amazon controlled everything. And we were just going in circles, um, really trying to keep up with Amazon's changes. So we really learned that for future businesses, we have to have our own brand. We can't rely on a third party, even relying on like Facebook for 95% of your revenue, not a smart idea. They can change anything at any given time. So we've been very cautious about that with free up and now outsource school to, hey, if someone shuts us down, if someone changes anything, we can adapt because we don't have all our eggs in one basket. And on the flip side of it, I kind of learned that same lesson on the, the hiring side and even the manufacturer side. I, I had gotten the business to a really good point. I was kind of stressed out. I was working a lot of hours and I hired someone and I made him the manager. And I taught him how to do every part of the business from customer service to listing to repricing products. There was no Amazon software back then. And six months later, he's a rock star. I'm sleeping better at night. Business is running without me. And I do the same thing on the manufacturer side. We have one manufacturer who's doing about 80% of our sales. And I say, you know what? Dealing with the other ones is a hassle. Let's just focus on them. Let's maximize the sales. So I get this business on streamline. Money's rolling in. I got this one manufacturer, got this one person doing everything. Uh, life's good. I'm 20, 21. I'm on top of the world. And I decide to take my first vacation. Well, on the first day of my vacation, I was in Myrtle Beach and I get three phone calls. The first from the manager of the day telling me he was quitting on me. So that was six months of training down the drain. Second from the manufacturer telling me they no longer want to do business with me. They were dropping me. So my entire revenue stream down the drain. And then just to top it off, I get a call from my accountant telling me that someone had filed a fake tax return in my name and stolen my identity, stolen $40,000 from the government, not from me, from the government. And I had to deal with that mess and paperwork when I got home. So I went from this unbelievable high to the, the crashing down to earth to everything I'd worked for for the past year, year and a half. I had to start all over again from scratch. Wow. Did you, is, did you continue with the manufacturing business or was that kind of your transition into, into the free up and, and VA and, and that kind of world? No, this was earlier on. So this is year one or two. So I definitely continued. I, I was, you got to remember I'm 20. So I spend the day like drinking with my friends, um, woes me and all that. And then finally I started thinking, what lesson did I learn here? And, and the big lesson I learned was to diversify and, and that I wasn't diversified enough. So 
I looked at how much money I had in the bank account and who I could hire. But before I hired, I started personally reaching out to other manufacturers. And within six months, I had built relationships with over 300 manufacturers. And it wouldn't be the last time a manufacturer dropped me, but next time it wasn't that big of a deal. And we were not only bigger and making more revenue, but we were more diverse. And then on the flip side, when it was time to hire again, I didn't make that same mistake twice. I hired two people for customer service, one person for listing, two people for repricing. So everyone was departmentalized. They had their task or two. If someone quit, I just plugged someone else in there and it wouldn't be the last person that quit on me. And it was a very valuable lesson early on uh, on diversification, something I'm very happy I learned in year one and two and not in year seven, eight, nine. Yeah, that's really, um, I, I mean, in, in the current climate, which uh, this episode, probably when we're interviewing and then when it goes live will be a, a week or two, but I feel like a lot of people are probably, you know, either A, thankful that they've diversified to some level, whether it's their service offering or their their skills or, or within uh, maybe having a couple of different, you know, markets that they serve or at least marketing channels, right? Um, what, what, I mean, what, what from those experiences do you think has played into what you're currently thinking about given that the world is a little bit in crisis? Yeah, I mean, there are other lessons in there too that, that kind of apply. I mean, I opened up an office, which was probably one of my worst business decisions. I, I kind of added overhead to a business that, that didn't really need it. And I made all these people that were happy with remote relocate it and work from the office. And I created a nine, nine to five job for myself. And once I realized that was a bad mistake, I got rid of it and went to remote and I've been remote ever since. So even kind of with this, even without this crisis, I feel like the whole world was kind of going in the remote direction anyway, but this is kind of sped it up. And I mean, my lifestyle, besides being stuck in the house and not being able to go to the gym and I had to cancel some travel plans, like on the day-to-day working side hasn't really changed. I've been working remote. I have a remote team and, and all of that. So I think people are kind of adapting to, hey, can I run my business remote? How do I run my business remote? And, and that's something that, that I kind of had a head start into. Which means it's a good time to uh, uh, really start thinking about remote work or outsourcing. I mean, most people are, are kind of now uh, experiencing this. Maybe some people are experiencing this for the first time. Actually, I'd say most people out there are experiencing remote work for the first time uh, or, or somewhat new to it. Yeah, I agree. And it really comes down to communication and clarity, especially as you continue to, to branch out. I mean, working with someone in the US who's not in the office, you need to communicate better. You need to have better systems, better processes. And if you expand to the Philippines or India or wherever else, um, you have to take it to a whole nother level. People who where English is in their first language, people who work with lots of different clients and, and one client might do something different than the way that you do it. And, and you really can't assume everything. You have to lay out expectations from the beginning, be clear, be direct, and, and also create a culture that they want to be a part of because there's lots of other opportunities out, out there as well, which can be difficult to do if, if you've never done that with a remote team before. You're not going to go out and get drinks with them after work. So you have to come up with other creative ways to engage them and build a family that people want to stay a part of. Let's uh, let's dig into the remote work and outsourcing because I know our, our listeners, uh, well, first of all, they've probably been inundated with stuff about remote work, but uh, I think you obviously have a lot to add here because you have a, you had a team of 35 remote workers. Uh, you've worked remote. I mean, I've worked remote for, for many years. Uh, you mentioned other creative ways to kind of build culture and keep people engaged because you can't go out and do happy hours, right? So what are some of the things that you did to, to build that culture? So one of the things we did at FreeUp and the Hoth who acquired FreeUp has continued this tradition. So every Monday morning, we'd have a meeting at 10 a.m. with everyone there. And we would, the first thing we would do for the first five to 10 minutes of the meeting was everyone would post pic, one picture of their weekend. And 
that would lead to people interacting, people laughing, people telling jokes, people getting to know each other better. And that was just a, a quick, easy, low maintenance way to, to start off, off the week on the right foot. And then we get into the serious stuff. How did last week go? Let's talk about projects and all of that. So small things like that are key. I call it my BARF method, which is a funny acronym, but the the goal to building that culture and to having low turnover is getting them to buy in, which is the B, and that's telling them about the business, about your passion for the business, who you're helping, letting them see the, the long-term picture, all things you need to make sure you do with remote hires, and, and a lot of people skip that. The, the A is showing appreciation. So not just being the one that talks to the VA when they mess up, but also saying, hey, great work. You crushed it. This is how that project contributed to the big picture. Hey, have a great Friday. Good job this week. See you on Monday. Stuff like that. Building a relationship. So getting to know them on a personal level. I always recommend connecting with your VAs on social media, getting to know their family. I'm the godfather of one of my VA's kids that we've been working together for eight plus years. So building those personal relationships. And then F is family. And if you hire a lot of people remote in the Philippines, like I do, they're all about family, whether it's inside work, outside of work, whatever it is. And you want to create a culture where they like each other, they like communicating with each other, that they feel like they're a part of something. And that way, if someone comes around and they offer them more money, which there's always a business out there that can do that, they don't want to leave their family. And if you do all four of those things together, that reduces turnover really over everything else. I love that. I think the, uh, the name, the Barf Method, is, uh, is is definitely a little bit of you know usually like entrepreneur like frameworks like that are always like you know it's like something something like action or like you know something you know. But uh, I can't hope, tell right? you how much time we spent trying to move that around and make it something else. <laughs> that's awesome, man. That's awesome. Hey, what's up, agency owners? As someone that's built hundreds of websites for clients over the last 20 years, I know how important it is to have a content management system that is fast to set up and delivers my clients' websites with the speed the internet demands. If you're looking for a new CMS, I'd like to introduce you to a new platform called Zephyr, a content management system built for power users and agencies. Build websites faster, make clients happier. Find out more at ZephyrCMS.com and get one free site for life and a free theme set up valued at $500. That's ZephyrCMS.com. Now let's get back to our interview. So when you guys were, um, you know, I want to talk about the kind of lo- the logistics of, of of getting to a team of thirty five people in the Philippines. Uh, well, actually, before I do that, you know, what for for you, what was the decision to go with with kind of building your your team infrastructure in in the Philippines? Yeah, and I had hired people when I started hiring VAs. I hired people from different countries, and one of my first hires was Chicky Ann, and that's the the lady that I'm the godfather of one of her kids. And I got to know her really well. She's a rock star virtual assistant, and I made some other hires that didn't go that well. It was mostly my fault. And I went to her and I said, "Listen, you're awesome. What am I doing wrong? Why are people quitting? Why are people not following directions?" And she was very open and honest with me. And she told me everything I need to know about working with people in the Philippines, how they can be more emotional, how I need to use more emojis so I can relay how I'm feeling, how I'm too harsh, I'm too direct. And I slowly started to change and ad- adjust how I spoke and how I managed and how I led. And I got really good at it. I got And I built great relationships with people in the Philippines. So, I mean, I have a, a graphic designer in India and I have developers in India and I, I do hire people here and there all over the world. But when I'm talking about VAs, I'm talking about the followers instead of the doers and the experts. I personally found just a lot of, of I personally had a lot of success hiring people from the Philippines. And Price point is a part of it. Um, I mean, $12 an hour or $12 a day is the minimum wage in the Philippines, and it doesn't take much to beat that. But I've also 
increase like Chicky Ann and other people's rates past $20 an hour. And when we sold free up, I took $500,000 from the sale and gave it to our team in the Philippines to, to make sure they're taken care of. So just because people have lower rates to start doesn't mean that you can't reward them as you grow your business. And on top of that, they speak English at a high level. Um, they, like I said, family is a big part of it, which is what you want as an entrepreneur. You want to be able to build a family and have people that, that want to build a family. They consume a lot of the same media that we do in terms of video games, computer games, books, uh, movies. And that comes into play when you're offering a US service or a US product. It's a lot easier to work with someone who's familiar with what you're selling. So I could keep going, but those are a lot of the main factors of why I personally enjoy working with VAs in the Philippines. I want to ask a couple of follow-up questions on some of the things you've said. You mentioned that they are followers and doers, uh, not the experts. So, so they're the followers, not all, but the VAs that I hire are followers. I like to divide up hiring into three different levels. So you got followers, doers, and experts. So followers think five to 10 bucks an hour, non-US, they might have years of experience, but they're there to follow your systems, your processes. If you don't have systems, if you don't have processes, you're going to really struggle to hire those followers, those VAs. The doers are usually freelancers, graphic designers, video editors, writers, you're not teaching a graphic designer how to be a graphic designer, but they're not consulting with you either. They're doers, they're specialists, they do the same thing 10 hours a day. And then you got the experts. The experts can be 30 bucks an hour, they can be a thousand bucks an hour. They're high-level freelancers, consultants, coaches, agencies, and they come in with their own systems, their own processes, and, and they bring they bring the strategy to the table. And just like you wouldn't hire a follower and say, Hey, I don't know how to run Facebook ads, here's five thousand dollars, go run my ads. You also wouldn't hire an expert who has had a lot of success doing ads their way and hire them and say, Hey, I'm hiring you, but you're gonna do it my way. That doesn't make a lot of sense either. So as an entrepreneur, you have to know before you hire if you need a follower, a doer, or an expert so that to make sure that you hire someone and put them in the best position to succeed. I, that's a huge takeaway, man. I think that a lot of our listeners right now are probably thinking to themselves, I've hired you know experts to do follower job, which is probably means you're spending way more money than you need to be, but also tried to hire followers for things that maybe you needed an expert for. I mean, just thinking about you know, trying to have people come in and be self-starters and to build processes for you. I mean, if you, a lot of people I know have hired VAs and they're like, why can't this VA create my processes for me? And it's like, oh man, well, cause they're, they're a, a process, you know, manager, not a process creator. Yeah. And when you get to, so what I do, and, and I've been hiring VAs for years, and this is not what I recommend people do when they're first starting, but I, I've gotten my interview process so good and I've gotten my ability to uh, read whether someone's an A player. I've gotten both really high. So what I'll do is I'll hire someone and I'll have them create the SOPs with me. Like I just hired my, a VA yesterday for Alistair School. I use free up, which is kind of funny. Um, but I, I started her today and I'm having her, instead of me going out and writing all the SOPs, I'm teaching her how to do it. I'm very confident she's going to stick around. I'm very confident she's smart because I have that interview process down and I want her to build the SOPs. And she'll send me an SOP at the end of today, at the end of this podcast, and it'll probably be 90, 95% done and I'll get it that last 5%, but that saves me time. So there's more than one way to do it. I, I definitely recommend doing it not that way and, and um, get and creating the SOPs and then hiring the VAs. But as you get better and better and better, there's creative ways to go about it to value your time at the highest possible level. That's awesome. As you start to build a, uh, a team, I mean, I think a lot of people are maybe going from zero to one VA, right? What, I mean, so some of the stuff you've already said, I think is really valuable, but when you hired kind of your first, 
were there any other lessons? I think a lot of people are kind of like, well, I know, I know I should hire a VA. Maybe they don't know how to use them effectively. They don't know what kind of jobs they should be doing. When you're going from kind of zero to one, any insights or advice for people? Yeah. So I mentioned that there's four parts of hiring, right? You got interviewing, onboarding, training, and managing. And most entrepreneurs out there know that you need to interview someone. Most entrepreneurs out there know that you need to train someone. And most entrepreneurs out there know that in some capacity, you have to manage them once you've trained them. But what most people forget to do is the onboarding. And this is the key step that everyone misses, and it makes the biggest difference in hiring. So instead of, let's say you interviewed three virtual assistants, and you want to hire Bob, and you want to hire Bob at five bucks an hour. What the average entrepreneur does is they say, Bob, you're hired at five bucks an hour. Let's jump into training. What I teach people to do is offer Bob five bucks an hour. Hey, Bob, that was a great interview. I want to offer you five bucks an hour. Let's make sure you're good with five bucks an hour. And then before we jump into training, let's go through what I call my SICK method, S-I-C-C, and make sure we're on the same page. And if at any point throughout this that we're not on the same page, you can back out. And I'd much rather you back out now than when we invest time, energy, and money into you later. So the first S is, or the S is schedule. So I go through what schedule he's working with me. If it's graveyard shift, hey, have you worked graveyard shift before? I find out what other clients he has. What other times are those clients? Is there any overlap? Are they working 100 hours a week and they're going to be exhausted by the time they work for me? And we dive into that. Then I talk about issues. So I go through computer issues. Do they have a fast computer? Do they have a backup computer? Are they a computer issue away from not being able to work for a month? Internet. How often do they lose internet? Do they have a backup internet source? Do they have a place they can go if they lose internet? Similar with power. Do they have a backup generator? What's the backup plan? How often do you lose it? Weather. Do you live in a rural area or a city? Is weather a factor? Is that something I need to be aware of going forward? Obviously, that's outside of their control, but I want to be aware of that before I hire them. And then last is personal issues. And that's about setting the expectations of, hey, we don't work with virtual assistants that are one personal issue away from not being able to work for months. If you have a personal issue, I'm reasonable, but you can take the day off or whatever it is, but it shouldn't extend weeks at a time. And by laying out those expectations up front, I make sure that they're that they're they know what they're getting into, and most VAs will back out if they're not comfortable with that. Or, or I know, hey, this person is loses power all the time. I probably don't want to give them a, an important task that that's super urgent. The C is culture. So, so actually, first C is communication. So, communication. I go through my communication channels, which is probably different than their other clients. I use Slack. I use email. I use Viber. Emails need to be responded to within a business day. Slack, you need to be on Slack when you're working. Message when you start, message when you stop. Viber is for emergencies and you have to have Viber on your phone at at all times. And then last is culture. I go through what it's like to work with the team, what we value, ideas, feedback, being professional, being the bigger man, the bigger woman. If, If someone says anything bad about you, all that kind of stuff. And Again, I go through that with them. I let them ask questions. And then at the end, I give them a chance to back out. And if they back out, great. I'll go interview someone else. If they don't back out, great. I'm excited to work with you. Let's get started on the training. And that's a 10 to 30 minute conversation that's going to save you hundreds of hours down the line. So when you say onboarding, that's that call. That's basically 30 minutes of onboarding them into your expectations and kind of what uh, you know, those blind spots around their issues, communication, culture, and schedule? Yeah, exactly. It's really setting the expectations around schedule, issues, communication, and culture. So then once they're done with that onboarding engagement, then you move them into training and kind of walking them through like how you guys actually do what you do. 
Yeah. And you can hold them to it. And you're doing that onboarding in, in a Slack or a Skype. You're not doing it via the phone. But if they say, hey, I, I only lose internet like once a month and the first week they've lost internet twice, you go back with say, whoa, 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 we talked about this. What's going on? And you figure it out. Or if they say, hey, I'm going to, if I lose power, I'm going to go to my friend's house and they lose power and they don't go to their friend's house to work. You say, hey, we already talked about this. We set this expectation. And those are just two examples. But the, the power of setting those expectations and having it in writing up front will save you a lot of time and energy. That's great. As you start to build a team of VAs, how has that kind of changed things? Like once you go from, you know, you have one VA, now you've got maybe two or three or four or five. Uh, I mean, is it important for all of these people if they're doing different tasks and different seats to, to really start to work together as a team? I know we here at YouGurus have, you know, some VAs that are kind of more on the periphery that, that do th- certain things for us. Like not all of them are participating at like a company culture level. They're just kind of focused on their, their task. Uh, others are more kind of half-time or full-time in the business. Uh, how do you kind of, how did you guys navigate that at free up as you started to add more and more VAs to create that team culture? Yeah, and I've had standalone VAs as well. Like we just launched the course on the, the on podcast outreach, and that's kind of a standalone VA that's working one to two hours a day. And you can connect them with your team. You can not connect them with your team, whatever you want to do. But if we're talking more about like full time, more important roles, what a lot of entrepreneurs do is they make the mistake of they got ten VAs and all ten VAs are reporting to them, and then they go crazy and they don't have much of a personal life because they're managing ten people. And what we teach people to do in our cracking the VA code is build team leaders and assistant team leaders and really start that process early by giving people ownership of different tasks. And once you get people to own the tasks and own the SOPs, that's when people are going to stand out. And then when you have an opportunity where you need a team leader, you're not just wondering, who do I make a team leader or trying to hire someone externally? You know who's taking ownerships of tasks and then you can transition them into those roles. So getting those team leaders and assistant team leaders in place, once you get around five, six virtual assistants, to me, that that's what allowed us to become scalable and have 35 VAs, but four team leaders. I would talk to the team leaders 95% of the time, they would manage their teams. And that allowed me to focus on the big picture stuff, the sales, the expansion, the marketing and all that. One of the things that came up earlier, you did mention some some costs for VAs. I mean, I think that's one of the advantages to going someplace like India or to the Philippines. You mentioned the minimum wage is $12 a day, but you were paying these folks up to $20 per hour. I mean, what on a monthly level should somebody be kind of ranging if they are looking at you know, Philippines VAs or India VAs, just to kind of paint a picture of like, is there, you know, is there an opportunity for them to, to, to leverage that, uh, that type of investment? Yeah. Let me clarify. So I normally start VAs in that four to $6 an hour range. Um, and then from there with the team leaders, the A players, I usually put a system in place. Like what we did at free up is their pay went up 50 cents an hour. Every time our build hours per week hit the next 500, 500 hour milestone. So the people and Marius and cheeks who actually started off at three bucks an hour, by the time we sold free up and we were doing $12 million a year, they were making over 20 bucks an hour. So that's not everyone. That's just your team leaders, but the other people I, I would treat well at too. So Getting people that five to ten dollar an hour range is really the, the ballpark. You can get people on fixed monthly prices for five hundred dollars a month or, or whatever like that. I personally prefer hourly. I think it works out better, and and people end up being more motivated and stuff like that. But I mean, you're, you're, we're all in the in the same ballpark there. What kind of uh, so you mentioned like team leaders and stuff? I mean, you know, a lot of agency owners are doing a lot of. I mean, they are doing some some kind of follower tasks, uh, but they are doing a lot of doer tasks, right? They're doing a lot of 
graphic design. They're doing a lot of video. They're doing a lot of web. They're doing a lot of ad account management and things like that. I mean, are those things that, uh, that you could actually have people in the Philippines doing remotely? Yeah. I mean, so here, let me walk through, I'm, I'm creating courses now. So I have three video editors and this is how, how I run it. I have one of them that's in charge that makes a little bit more. And the, I set the expectation up front that when we have work, I want you to do it. And we don't have work. I, I, we don't have work. You don't get paid for it, but I, you're allowed to get other clients, of course. And if your other client gives you work ahead of time, that's fine. Do their work first, but you got to communicate it with us. So I just deal directly with that leader right now. Connor, my business partner is filming videos. I'm filming videos. I send the videos to him. He reaches out to the other two people and says, Hey, are you available? When can you get this stuff done? He assigns it and he takes on the, the work that he wants himself. So I have one person managing it, three uh, video editors. And that's what you really need to do if you're building an agency, unless you're hiring everyone full time is you need to have a Rolodex of two to three graphic designers, two or three video editors, two or three ad people. And, and that way you can go to them and, and for different times and who's ever available can do the work. But then it's also about setting that expectation during the onboarding of, hey, it is more on-call work. This is how we handle on-call on, and on-call should never be urgent. There's no such thing as on-call and urgent where you just message someone, hey, I haven't given you work in a week. I need you to do this a second. It needs to be more, hey, I have an assignment. When can you get to it? Let's establish a due date and a due time. Okay, we're both on the same page. Then let's move forward. And when you set those relationships up front, if someone's only looking for a full-time job and you talk about that setup, they're going to be like, no, that's not for me. And that's fine. And you want to get someone that's okay with whatever setup you want for your business, your agency. I love that distinction that you can't have on call and urgent. Cause I think that a lot of people that have tried outsourcing VA project, you know, outsourcing to, to, to VAs in the Philippines uh, on a project basis have taken that kind of expectation of, you know, even maybe they've, they've assigned them a project and they've, you know, uh, all of a sudden they're on deadline and they've, you know, they hadn't gotten their, their, their person, you know, feedback or kind of the next step. And all of a sudden they're getting it to them and they're like, okay, you need to do this right now. Right. We got a deadline coming up. Right. And, and then they end up kind of failing because I think there is a little bit of an unfair expectation there that, you know, that, and I think a lot of the, at least when I've dealt with, you know, some VA culture, a lot of times, at least in India, like they'll be like, yeah, we can do that. Like they'll be very optimistic of like, yeah, we can do that. Like it's very, yes. Uh, but then the reality is they, you know, that maybe they're telling four people that. The only VAs that like on-call and urgent are the VAs that haven't done on-call and urgent yet. Once they start to realize what that really entails, that they're not going to like it, whether they're, they tell that to you to your face or they just disappear or, or do whatever, um, it's going to come back to bite you. And it's really just no way to run a business. If your entire business depends on on-call and urgent work, you need better systems, better processes. That's cool. Well, dude, this has been, this has been insightful, man. I, I, uh, I feel like, I mean, obviously you're building out some courses on this. We could probably talk all day about better ways to, uh, better ways to outsource, better ways to manage VAs. I've taken a lot of notes for myself, even thinking about some of our VA based teams and thinking, man, I, I bet we could do that better. Right. I bet we could show up for those people better or give them more clear expectations. So I love your, your models. Uh, I love the, uh, the sick model. I love the parf model. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll see if I can come up with a better name for those. But if you guys have already done the work, we're just going to take the Barth model and, 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 and run with it. So this has been super fun, man. Uh, are you ready for our lightning round? Let's do it. All right. What is the best advice you've ever received? Work hard, play hard. Um, that, that's been my, my mom's mentality since I was little. And if I'm playing sports or I'm at the gym, I'm going all out. If I'm with my friends, I'm with my family, I'm focused and going all out. And, and when I'm working, I'm going all out. And that's really just how I live my life. Which personal, which of your personal habits has contributed most to your success? 
Um, so I'm, I'm very good at splitting stuff up. So I'm very bad. Like if I was going to film a course, I wouldn't do the whole course every single day. I break it down really well and I stick to it. So, I mean, the first thing I do every single morning is I reach out to three new entrepreneurs to network with them. And then I, I, if I'm working on a course, I'll film one video of the course and then I'll go to the next thing. So everything's very split up and I just chip away at things very, very well. So I wake up a month later and a lot of stuff is accomplished. Can you share an internet resource, a tool or app that you use that you think our listeners would find valuable? So I'm all about valuing my time. I use an app called WordBoard and I program it with every possible thing that I could think that I could say to someone. And it could be like every single link, every single social media link. It could be a lot of canned responses. It could be, hey, do you want to use my calendar or your calendar? And then um, whenever I, I met, whenever someone messages me or I get emails and stuff, I can just respond super fast because everything I could possibly say is just a button away. What's that app called? Wordboard. There, there's a bunch of them. I use, just use Wordboard. Uh, I've never heard of something like that. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, awesome. Uh, and what book would you recommend and why? So I just finished reading Hatching Twitter, which was not the type of book that I expected. Um, a lot of people see Twitter as a big company that had a lot of success, but behind the scenes, four people that wanted to be CEOs that stabbed each other in the back, that started off friends and a lot of drama. So it was kind of fascinating to just see what happens when business partnerships go wrong and when people get screwed over and um, definitely worth reading. Very cool. I'll, uh, I'll add that to my reading list. That sounds pretty exciting. And uh, if you guys out there listening to the show uh, would like to grab links to that book recommendation, the uh, word board recommendation, as well as tons of other takeaways, nuggets, and links, check that out at our show notes page, yougurus.com forward slash podcast, or just go to our website at yougurus.com, click on podcast, and you'll see Nathan's episode right up there at the top if you're listening to this week of. Nathan, how can our folks uh, find out more about you? Is there anything that you have that they can check out? Yeah. So I'm one of the easiest entrepreneurs to contact. Feel free to connect with me on Facebook or or LinkedIn, Nathan Hirsch on Instagram or Twitter, the real Nate Hirsch. If you go to outsourceschool.com slash VA calculator, we have this awesome tool that you can plug in information of your business and how aggressive or how conservative you want to be. And it'll tell you how many VAs you can afford right now. It'll say, Hey, four full-time VAs, one part-time VA, whatever it is. And that's really the step that you need to do before you start interviewing and hiring people. I've seen so many entrepreneurs that hire VAs and then realize two months later they can't afford them or they hired one VA too many and causes drama and all sorts of stuff. So um, I'd I'd love for you to check out that tool and join our newsletter. Um, We put out a lot of tips and and helpful stuff about hiring VAs. And if you're interested in cracking the VA code or, or any of our other programs, definitely check it out and feel free to reach out to me if you have any questions. Awesome, man. We'll also add those links out to our show notes page. So if you're looking to get those all in one place, check those out at eagerus.com forward slash podcast. Nathan, thank you so much for stopping by the program today. Thanks so much for having me. And that's it for this week's episode of the Digital Agency Show. Stay tuned each and every week for more great content coming to you to help you grow your digital agency so you can achieve freedom in business and life. Until next time, I'm Brent Weaver. Thanks again for tuning in to the Digital Agency Show. Before we close out today, I want to check on your answer to my questions from the beginning of the episode. Are you stressed out, cash crunched, fed up with your business? Now, if you feel this way, you might think that you have a lead gen problem. Maybe it's the area you live in, or maybe this market has gotten too competitive. Maybe you think that your business can't be turned around. And I want you to think again. In my many years of experience, I can tell you now it's something much deeper that you're likely not even aware of yet. It's like a client who says they need a website, Facebook ads, or mobile app but they don't even realize it's a deeper challenge that's blocking them from success. Now, if you'd like to find out what your deeper challenge is, I want to invite you to apply for a free 
agency freedom session where you can dig into those underlying issues in your business and get moving like never before. The aha moments that you're going to have will shift the way you think forever and you'll finally get the answer to why your business hasn't taken off. The number one most important decision to rapidly grow your business starts by booking your agency freedom session today. Go to yougurus.com slash apply to start the application process for this free call. Once again, go to yougurus.com slash apply to get started. Thanks again for tuning in. Join us next week for another episode of the Digital Agency Show.